0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track.
1: So, John, have you heard about the uh, v 3 vulnerability that's uh, out now? Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, like a lot of other vulnerabilities
2: um, on this port, it's one to be worried about because. Um, this is a vulnerability that uh, is patched at this point. So there is a patch that was released last week. Um, but when we talk about SMB, um, that's uh, Microsoft's file sharing uh, protocol. And uh, we've seen other worms, notably, you know, when you go back in history, like WannaCry uh, was a worm that uh, uh, traveled across the SMB port, uh, exploding machines on that same service, uh, as well as uh, Conficker and some of these other ones historically. Uh, That would be something to be worried about. I guess the upside with this one is, well, there's a couple of upsides. First of all, um, it really only impacts Windows 10 uh, and Windows Server uh, at this point, so more recent versions of Windows. Uh, And when we look at kind of the landscape out there, uh, you know, using things like Shodan, there's not a ton of machines that are exposing themselves to the Internet. Um, That would meet this criteria. There's about 43,000 or so I think they saw. And the other upside is that there's only one proof of concept exploit out there right now for this. Um, But now that the patch was released last week, I would expect that people typically when a patch gets released, the bad guys take that patch, they look at it, they reverse engineer it to figure out what is it actually patching. Because from that, they can figure out how to exploit that vulnerability. You know, I anticipate that we'll probably see more exploit attempts against this uh, in the future. And I guess one thing that I should say is that this, um, uh, this vulnerability, if exploited, would allow, um, you know, a remote attacker to uh, execute code on the machine with the privileges of system. Which is, you know, pretty typical. That's what the service runs under. Uh, but that is an escalated privilege, so you basically have somewhat super user privilege on the machine, um, so they could do anything. Uh, you know, if the uh, if the machine was vulnerable and unpatched uh, for this. So I guess long story short, um, patch if you can. The patch is available um, as soon as possible. And I would always advise not to exploit. Uh, I'm sorry, not to expose. Um, uh, specifically, port 445 to the internet. Uh, there's usually very little reason that you would ever need to do that. Uh, so, if you can at all avoid, um, you know, exposing the uh, SMB port to the internet from your Windows machines, that would be uh, advisable. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts or information that you had gleaned from this.
0: I guess see, one of the things I had saw, John, was that the there is a different, I guess, vector from server to client. So if you're a server, you almost have to, I, it, it looks like you, somebody could send something to you, but from a client perspective, you, you, you would have to connect to a malicious server. Is that, am I reading that right? I'm, not, I'm just not 100% sure.
2: Uh, yeah, I believe that's true, that you would have to, um, you know, either coerce a client machine to connect to a server that could, you know, a malicious server that could exploit it. Um, but I think, and I didn't really, I'm not 100% sure, but a lot of Windows machines, you can turn on file sharing, even though you're just kind of a regular machine. And I think at that point, you actually become a server. Um, so if you're exposing yourself, like you're, let's say you want to share your home directory or something off of your PC, um, at that point, you are technically a server. Um, and if you expose, your device in that way to the internet or someplace else where somebody could reach you uh, then they could uh, theoretically uh, you know exploit that vulnerability that's the way I interpreted it I mean, I'm not hundred percent sure
1: okay interesting yeah and to your point about um, you know making sure to to block at the firewall that's really important because you know, setting this particular vulnerability aside, there's a number of techniques that can be used to do things like harvest uh, hashes and things like that at distance um, through you know abuse of SMB. So making sure that organizations are blocking that at the firewall so that it's not egressing is is really important. That's best yeah, practice. <laughs>
0: it's best practice. You don't you don't leak you know net BIOS across the internet or SMB. <laughs> just... One would hope. <laughs> Like,
2: I would advise don't expose your remote desktop protocol to the Internet either. Not that it's the same type of thing, but, you know, we see people make that same mistake as well a lot of times. Um, uh, But, you know, this is a little bit different in that there's a kind of known vulnerability that just exposing your service to the Internet could, uh, you know, could leave it open to exploit. Anyway, that's all I had on that one, just uh, something for people to be mindful of. Uh, You know, the patch was only released last week, so people should – uh, you know, take heed and make sure that they patch uh, all of their Windows 10 systems and uh, Windows Server that fall into the, you know, vulnerable category for this.
0: Well, Michael, obviously we're in a unique situation here in that we're all remote doing this taping today and that we're all information security professionals we have a role to play at this time. I mean, what are what are some suggestions you, you know, you've know you gathered for role, you know, things that we can do as information security professionals?
1: Yeah, so this is certainly leading to, you know, some, some new challenges for a lot of organizations um, because, you know, it, it's certainly a kind of a black swan event that people are trying to have to deal with, you know, on short notice. So some of these things might have just kind of fallen by the wayside and, and are, are really good ideas. The first is to really do what you can to understand the remote work environment so you know as you're sending these individuals home where are they working are they working from home or or have they planned to go work from a coffee shop you know or something along those lines you know do they have adequate physical security around um, any kind of sensitive or proprietary information or hardware or things like that and what kind of it infrastructures do they have uh, at their residence right are they Requiring a Wi-Fi password? Do they actually have a personal firewall on their, you know, uh, home cable modem or, or, or what have you? So, getting an understanding of what that remote work environment looks like is something that you know should be a, a level set um, as you send people home, and then making sure that the endpoint controls uh, that are being enforced on machines are typically in the office are still going to work as expected. when those machines are outside of the office. Now, this for for workers that are already telecommuting or have a history of that, not really going to be an issue. But for organizations that might have people that, you know, really those machines really haven't traveled before, you know, there might be some hiccups there. You just want to make sure that your control posture is staying up to date. And from a person perspective, really hammering home the fact that everyone is getting fished over this right now everything from malicious phone applications purporting to be COVID outbreak trackers that are installing malware on mobile devices to various pretexts that are designed to solicit credentials and you know conduct traditional phishing attack type things are rampant right now so definitely making sure that any controls you have in place are working and any education that you have you're really doubling down on. Next, making sure that you understand which of your employees are working with sensitive data, regulated data, or otherwise, you know, personally identifiable data. And making sure that you're putting additional controls around those folks and additional guidance, right? Because it would be very tempting for somebody to possibly print off some financial data or EPHI or other types of uh, materials at home. And now those materials are outside the office environment and have fewer physical controls and could be, you know, result in a disclosure um, through any number of um, scenarios there. So understanding what those employees are doing from a role perspective and providing customized guidance um, for each of those based on that. From a detective perspective, This is going to wreak havoc um, with some organizations detective controls, right? Because people are going to be logging in from strange places that they've never logged in from before, strange IPs, strange work hours, things like that, as people are accommodating new work-life balance situations as a result of these things. So you're... IDS, your SIM is going to be showing a lot of erratic activity um, as a result of this. Um, And that's something that's going to cause more noise and make it harder for you to really identify what actual attacks are going on. So making sure that you're really taking a very close look at some of these things right now is going to be important, you know, throughout this period next, if you haven't implemented you know, some form of multi-factor or two-factor authentication um, with those VPN connections that people are going to be using now, that is really highly recommended. Um, that tends to be, you know, c- c- credential abuse is a, is a common source of breaches in, investi- in investigations. Um, so you're definitely going to want to make sure that that is in place and that you're not allowing split tunneling configurations wherever possible to minimize any risk exposure from their local uh, IT infrastructure in that remote office. Lastly, just do what you can to keep really good records, because eventually um, this crisis will pass, and there are going to be audits that occur Um, And people are going to be wanting to know why certain processes were not followed, why certain policy exceptions were made, um, you know, and looking for records um, to kind of justify those things. So, you know, keep that data, you know, backlog that data. um, That way you can answer those questions going forward. And if you do start to notice um, interesting activity that you need to follow up on, you'll have those event data, NetFlow data, and what have you to be able to fall back on.
0: So, I mean, are you are you thinking, you know, that we're just going to, you know, in some ways we need to treat this just like it's a normal day. It's just people are in a different location, right? So I just wonder, you know, locations that have more of a clean desk environment, you know, are certainly going to have challenges, you know, because you, you, you don't control that desk as much.
1: Absolutely. Well, you think about people that might have roommates um, or, you know, other, you know, higher traffic home environments. Um, you know, and these things become a challenge, especially not, even if you have control over one endpoint, you may not have control over all of the endpoints on that local network.
2: Yeah, no, I think this um, this article is really good, especially from the timeliness aspect of it, because um, you know, speaking to the, what you brought up about, uh, get ready to expect to see all kinds of unusual activity coming into your network, especially with VPN. Um, becoming more, uh, you know, more used uh, in the environment. I know right now we've been noticing some anomalies, things we haven't seen before with a lot of our VPN user base uh, over the past couple of days here. Um, so that's definitely something that uh, I, I expect everybody is probably running into in this field. Uh, and, you know, the other things a lot of people would be concerned about as well, you know, that we ran into as well is making sure that you have adequate facilities for your VPN so that you can handle the increased load because you might double or triple the number of users that you would normally expect to see on your VPN uh, on a regular basis. So, um, uh, you know, I think these are important things, considerations to take into factor. I guess the, the one other thing that I thought uh, I was reading through the article that I thought was useful, you know, for smaller organizations at the beginning there you said make sure you have some sort of... Um, inventory or questionnaire that you uh, uh, put out to your employee workforce so you have a good understanding of what their work from home environment is. And a lot of people probably wouldn't have a good idea of what I should even be asking my employees at home. So in this article here that we could reference people to, they do at the end of it have a, a, you know, quick little checklist that you could use to send out to your employee workforce to get at least the basics down of what, uh, what their work-from-home environment is like so that you know, your uh, network security people will have some reference point. so when they see that person log in from VPN and they can cross-reference with data and figure out is this where we expect to see them come from and whatnot. So uh, a lot of good information in here. Hey, John, I understand there's uh, uh, maybe a relatively new piece of Android malware out
0: there that's going around stealing
2: cookies. Can you give me a little more info on that one? Sure,
0: yeah. And, and, and you know, Kaspersky uh, published an article about this. And, you know, every time I hear the name, which is what they call Cookie Thief, I, 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 I swing back to my days watching Sesame Street. So unfortunately, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes, you know, keeping a straight face. but the uh, What Kaspersky found was that they found this new strain of malware, and and there's certainly no evidence of it being on the Google Play Store, so this would be a side load of some sort, but its main focus was to get on the device and try to obtain the credentials associated with social media, such as Facebook, uh, you know, those types of things. And, And they did that by actually taking the cookie off of the device and sending it to Uh, you know, to their server and, and, uh, you know, the command and control. If you think about how all that works is, I mean, now they have the cookie, now they can actually impersonate you by using those credentials. I mean, there's other things they could have certainly have done on the device, but this particular aspect of it is to treat you or treat themselves as you so that they can go onto Facebook, they can go to emails, you know, different tools and actually post things, distribute content um, as you. The the kind of the twist to this that adds another little layer of complexity to it is that most of the our social media services actually have protections in place to prevent somebody from uh, impersonating you. And so they may say, you know, kind of like, you know, we talk about for people who are, you know, the Superman attack where they're in multiple places, you know, they, you normally see them in San Antonio and now they're posting something and they're in, you know, Washington, D.C. Too much of that type of connectivity is, you know, often detectable. And so a lot of our social media uh, gurus are getting pretty smart about that, and they won't let that happen. So what this uh, these malware guys did is that they actually added a VPN, not VPN, but a proxy as well to the malware, actually the separate piece of malware, put that on the Android device. So when you install all this fun stuff, uh, like I said, through a side load or some other mechanism, you they can now run that proxy on your device, connect to it with their tools off the server. To use your cookie. Pretend to be you. Use your device to send this stuff off to Facebook or whatever and post content. Kind of scary when you think about all the things that could be done with cookies. That's where we store credentials. That's where we store our encryption keys, our passwords. And so, you know, this type of malware has the potential to be pretty significant, not just for the sharing of, of, you know, content that maybe we don't want, but also, you know, for future future directions that they may go into with uh, you know, with this malicious activity. Uh, you yeah, you not? know, I, oh, I'm going to go ahead. I was going to say, I to say, so, you know, we all know about what goes on in cookies, so, <laughs> so certainly don't, you know, add on.
2: Right. No, I was going to say, um, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, Android malware use proxying as a means to like they turned your device into a proxy but just use it for other things this is a little bit more interesting to me because they're really using the proxy uh as a means to impersonate you as opposed to like an open proxy that they could use for any kind of browsing activity kind of scary and i guess you know like you said it's not on the official google play store but I think for Android in general, you need to be very careful about any kind of side loading that, that you would ever do. Um, if something like an application sounds too good to be true, don't install it um, on your device. Because, uh, you know, a lot of times they try to uh, lure you into installing these things from a off-site app store by saying, well, it's a free version of this game that you might you know, pay 3 for something on the regular Play Store. When in fact, it's really not. It's just, you know, this bogus piece of uh, software that's, you know, kind of hiding in the background at that point and doing uh, what you described here. So, um, you know, I guess, did they really, did they get into any details about like beyond posting is you? Uh, on social media and websites, is there any kind of more intent there or more information about, like, what kind of postings they're doing or how they're using the yeah, social media accounts?
0: That's that's a great question. And Kaspersky didn't go into a lot of detail on that. So I don't know if they've actually, just based on what they said in the post, if they detected a whole lot of activity, you know, doing that impersonation. Um the, the, the kind of the, the interesting thing that may lead you to suspect what you know, the target audience at least is, is that the package is, is called, you know, has a Roblox, R-O-B-L-O-X, which is a fairly popular you know, piece of software, especially for youngsters. So you, you wonder if that's not what their intent in at some point is. Um, I, I almost suspect, like I said, Kaspersky didn't go into a lot of detail about what the activity saw, so you, you almost wonder if they caught it early. You know, before there's a lot of
1: uh, you know, a lot of activity actually occurring. Yeah, because there's any number of ways that you know a threat actor with that type of access can, you know, use that to further whatever their agenda is, right? You know, political activities, disinformation campaigns, account takeovers, and subsequent ransoming of of, of the account. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways they could go with it, none of which are, are good.
0: Not, not at all, and certainly certainly at this time of the year, both not only the special circumstances that we are experiencing now, but also with the uh, you know coming presidential election, you know you think what could they do? <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, troubling
2: and uh, something to be aware of uh, th- those are the kinds of things that I was thinking about that Mike mentioned there uh, in terms of you know maybe taking it up a notch in terms of how to use those social media accounts by maybe an advanced attacker. Uh, so,
1: definitely uh, an interesting technique to keep an eye on, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, especially as um, more corporations are leveraging social media increasingly to reach their customer base, not that they're necessarily are doing that from Android phones, but social media really is a juicy target because there's a lot of reputational risk there now, too, when you start talking about legitimate business entities.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, it does speak back to the thing. You know, we said over and over again. You know, don't don't install software from unknown sources. Don't click on links that come in a text. You know, don't. You know, if the app asks you for permissions and you think, well, why does my app need you know high level permissions? You know, to play a game, don't give it to it. <laughs> you know, it's the so some ways it seems common sense, but. And others, you know, you just don't think because you want to do that activity. I just saw this great new free version of whatever. I'm going to install this. Well, everything it comes for free.
2: Sorry, right, everybody. I thought we'd take a look at the uh, Internet weather for this week. Uh, there's a couple of weird – there's one weird mystery we're going to take a look at, and then everything else is pretty normal um, or, you know, not much change from what we've seen in the past. So, uh, to start off, we have the most probe ports. This is where we've seen the most scanning overall, irrespective of how many devices are involved in the scanning. And there's really not much of a story here. As you can see, um, everything that's in the top 10 this week was in the top 10 last week. They just a couple of them switch positions relatively to each other. Some of the ones that we see here are ones we see typically. So you've got your HTTPS. Um, you've got your uh, Telnet as well. A lot of IoT devices still scanning. Uh, on the Telnet port, your uh, Microsoft SQL server, the server message block, SMB port, which we talked about um, in the story that I covered earlier. And we're going to take a closer look at that as well. Also, SSH, the remote desktop protocol port, um, on 3389, uh, the 81-TCP is probably related to either alternate HTTP or there is a go-ahead web server vulnerability that runs on this port frequently, so that might be related to that. And then you've got your web, and then the 5555-TCP is typically the Android debugger service. Um, although there are some other TR69-type services running uh, on that port that we also see targeted on this port as well. The more interesting stuff lies in the where we see the most sources probing. So I thought we'd take a look, a closer look at 445 TCP. I have that one highlighted. It's number one this week. It was number one last week. It's probably been number one for several years now because of things like WannaCry and other malware and worms that spread over the SMB port vulnerabilities. still been going on. There's a lot of other uh, pieces of malware that target port 445, as well as the new vulnerability that's out there that we just talked about. The other thing that's a little interesting, and I don't really, this is my mystery, that we're going to delve into a little bit more is for 27032 UDP. That jumped up 40 positions from where it had been previously. So it was way below the fold. We had never really seen it uh, or reported on it that I'm aware of. Uh, So this is one we're going to take a closer look at as well. And some of these other ones we already discussed on the previous page. So no, you know, nothing unusual or new to report there. So first off, let's go take a look at 445 TCP. This is a five-year chart, and I thought this might be worth looking into because of the recent vulnerability that's been reported, which is CVE 2020-0796. Oh, and I do have the vulnerability that I forgot on the previous slide, which is the Eternal Blue exploit that WannaCry was using to spread. Uh, that was CVE 2017-0144. And you can see back here around the 2017 timeframe, that's where the scanning activity in terms of number of scans has really ramped up. Uh, And it's stayed pretty high. It's gone down a little bit over the uh, couple of years uh, since then, but it still remained, you know, relatively high as compared to the noise floor that we had seen, you know, back in the 2015, 2016 timeframe. So, um, you know, I thought maybe it would be worthwhile to check out. Are we seeing an increased scanning uh, on this port now that CVE 2020, 796, uh, is a new vulnerability, uh, notably for Windows 10. Uh, That's out there. So I took a closer look just at four weeks and um, to see if there's any real big changes. And you could see, you know, you have your Monday through Friday kind of patterns in here, and then the weekends are dipping down. Um, But no real, this is the, you know, past week here on the right hand side, and no real major changes. In fact, it may be even slightly less than we had seen the previous weeks, Um, but no, you know, market change. In the amount of scanning that we're seeing on this sport, but that might be something that you know we want to keep an eye on as we go forward here to see if that uh, pattern changes, you know, as attackers start reverse engineering the patch, maybe finding new ways to exploit it, um, et cetera. So that will be one to keep an eye on, uh, you know, as the months go on here. So then, uh, the one that I thought was uh, most interesting this week is that we had that you know sharp jump import 27032 UDP. And uh, I didn't really have a good way to explain this. I still don't, but at least I know what it is. So we'll talk about that. Uh, When I first pulled this slide up, I said, well, 27032 UDP, that is kind of up in the range that's frequently used by gaming for uh, Valve or Steam. Uh, They're usually in that 27015 through 270 something something so i thought perhaps that might be what it is but when i looked at the flow data it does not you know really reflect that at all when i look at what's actually looking listening on port 3 to udp uh on shodan very few devices probably less than 50. so the intent wasn't really clear but you can see here we went from you know uh this is about a month time frame here we went from a noise floor of maybe i don't know very low, uh, less than 1,000 scan sources per hour that we would see. You know, and it jumped way up to 11,000 scan sources per hour, uh, or 10,000. And it's come down a little bit, but this, this trend here is very coordinated. is a lot of devices doing this in sync. So that was a little surprising to me. And um, I took a little bit closer look at who the sources were. Still a little bit hard to read because there's not much in these little tiny uh, bars here. But the vast majority of what we actually see uh, from the scanning activity are devices that are on our network, the AT&T network. So when I look closer at this, it's a lot of consumer level AT&T customers, uh, customers that have either DSL modems or fiber to the home uh, type modems with their U-verse service um, or other related consumer type uh, internet services that we provide to our customers. So, that kind of gave me some indication that, well, it's um, consumer-based, but when I looked at these devices, I don't see, it doesn't seem to me that there's anything specific about those types of devices that would indicate that there's some kind of compromise there or anything like that. So, then I decided to look in our honeypot. In our honeypot data, we could see that it's a very similar trend line. We had pretty much nothing in terms of scanning on this 2703 UDP, 032 UDP. Um, uh, and then it, it sharply rose and it's kind of come down a little bit. So it's a very similar trend lines to what we'd seen um, in the other chart that I, sh- I showed you, which is our you know, entire AT&T backbone telemetry collection. Uh, this is just kind of what we see in the, the limited. Uh, uh, what's trying to poke us from our honeypots per- perspective. So then I was able to take a closer look at the traffic itself. And this is where I'm a bit at a loss, but we might want to keep an eye on this in the future. So when I actually looked at all of this traffic, it was very clear to me that it's all BitTorrent distributed hash table queries. So that is 100% the protocol but why we have so many devices all at once doing D H T type requests out to the internet at the same time is confusing. I don't really have an answer for that. Just I'm just I just report the news. I don't necessarily interpret it all. <laughs> in any there, event, was,
0: um they're in gamers. I don't know, John, I mean, you know, a lot of that stuff's gaming related. You wonder if there wasn't somebody trying to find a pirated copy of some game or whatever, you know, a bunch of people.
2: Maybe, but no I wouldn't I typically wouldn't ascribe that to, you know, BitTorrent-type traffic. So it's a little strange. I did look at, you know, when you see these requests, these distributed hash table queries, it will pass an info hash, which is what they're looking for. And um, it was all over the map. You know, it wasn't any one single thing that was being, you know, uh, looked for in terms of the info hashes. So I don't know. I'm still I'm shrugging my shoulders on this one other than say, well, this might, maybe, maybe something will become clearer as the weeks go on as to what this is all about. Uh, but clearly, you know, there's definitely a marked increase in traffic here. When you go from very few sources to tens of thousands of sources, all of a sudden scanning on um, a port, there's something unusual there, and uh, probably it would be good to, to try to understand or figure that out more succinctly. But it is very new traffic. So this literally when we're looking at this chart here. Today for us is uh, March 17th, which is the top of this spike here. This really started to happen yesterday, March 16th, where this, this spike uh, about midday uh, started to occur. So it's very new traffic. Um, and I guess we'll see what happens as we go forward. Yeah, what stuck out to me about this one was that it is UDP. Yeah, that's weird. Um, which is atypical for us to see a lot of and um you know especially in the top 10 report and then uh you know i do know that you know the valve gaming is udp oriented and it's up in that range so i thought well maybe i was kind of a leaping to a conclusion but it looks completely false because when i look at it it's definitely 100 bit torrent dht protocol traffic so
0: um, I, i'll, I'll be- this link, John. I just saw it on on Steam. There's a UDP 27032 associated with this same Bitcoin miner. UDP. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's take a look lip, at that. Live torrent. Okay. Oh, it may be may be related. I mean, I I, I wouldn't swear. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.